Father God in heaven, we love your presence, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you are here and you are with us. And Lord, just like we love your presence, we love your word. And Lord, that's why we're here tonight. Because we love your presence where your people are gathered. We love your word. And God, we love fellowship. So Father, fill us tonight to overflowing. Lord, we, we come to study about your Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, we ask you to teach us tonight as we study who you are in the scriptures and what your word says. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. All God's people said, amen. 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 You may have a seat. But tonight, we're looking at the the baptism and the filling of the Holy Spirit. Tonight's our final night. And I got a little gift for you guys at the close of my teaching. Um, I got a little gift for you guys. I'll let it be a little surprise. So don't be looking too hard over here. You might see it. (laughs) But uh, a little gift to give to you that really concludes our study on the Holy Spirit and the gifting of the Holy Spirit. But again, uh, Chuck Smith covers this subject in his book, Living Waters, chapter 23. So I'm really just going to be touching base tonight on chapters 23, 24, and 25. But I really want to zone in on 23 because there's where he talks about the, the, I call it the baptism and the filling of the Holy Spirit. Because that's really, that's that's what people call it. Some people call it the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Some people call the the, the works and the gifts the filling of the Holy Spirit. So I'm calling it the baptism and the filling of the Holy Spirit. But uh, so what is the baptism of the Spirit? Uh, what What is the baptism of the Spirit? What is the filling of the Holy Spirit? And there actually, there is a difference and we'll talk about those. There are scriptures that, that separate those two, but there's also some scriptures that kind of combine them, combine them. So we'll be looking at all those scriptures. I want to show it to you from all angles and let you see even the different positions on the baptism and the filling of the Holy Spirit. And what's the difference? So without further ado, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this awesome nine-week study we've had on the Holy Spirit. And Lord, tonight I pray as we dig into your word and we look at passages on the subject that you'll speak to our hearts. You'll encourage us. And Father, I pray out this study that, Father, we'll be more yielded to you in our daily walk and the gifts that you have for us. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen. Amen. So tonight up on the, on the screen is Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. That's where we'll be starting. And this... Same verse that uh, John the Baptist's statement is also recorded in Luke 3.16 and John 1.33. But this is where we'll start tonight. And John says, As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who's coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. And here it is, guys. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So... We're looking at the baptism of the Holy Spirit. First off, who, who does the baptizing according to that verse? Jesus. The Lord Jesus Christ is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. The word baptism, the Greek word for baptism, it means to immerse, overwhelm, or consume. It was used among the Greeks back in the first century to describe the dyeing of garments. So like you have a white garment, you're going to dye it red, you submerse it in red. What color does it come out? It comes out red because it's completely 
consumed, overwhelmed, and immersed. And so it is with the Holy Spirit. So it is with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes into our life. He transforms us. He changes us. Now, when a person prays to receive the Lord Jesus as their Lord and Savior, how much of the Holy Spirit do they have? Everything. Okay? Let's, let's, let, me, let me go ahead and throw that out there. Because at Calvary Chapel, we believe that the baptism and the filling of the Holy Spirit is really an outpouring. It's, it's him flowing out of you. That's the emphasis of Chuck Smith's book. So some people like to say, you know, talk about being filled with the Spirit and receiving Christ and baptized. Some people will try to say, well, you got more of the Holy Spirit with the baptism. That's not the case. That's not the case. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you become born again, you have all. You are 100% filled with the Holy Spirit. But a lot of times when people talk about the baptism of the Spirit, what do they associate it with? What passage? Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. They they associate it with Pentecost. But before we go to Acts chapter 2, I want to start you from the beginning. So please turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1, and we're looking at verses 4 through 5. And if you don't have your Bible with you, we'll have the verses up on the screen. But talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, let's start in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, because that's where it's first talked about in the book of Acts. It says there, Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father has promised, which he said, Jesus speaking, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So simply looking at the text, Acts chapter 1, you have the disciples on the Mount of Olives, and Jesus is simply saying to them, Hey guys, stay put. Stay put. Stay in Jerusalem. Something big is fixing to happen. The promise of the Father is on the way. And it was a huge promise. Think about before Pentecost, because Acts chapter 2, verse 1 is the birth of the church. Before that, it was the Old Testament system. It was the priests, it was the temples, it was the way of doing things under the Old Testament. So here, uh, at at Pentecost, the birth of the church, God is getting ready to birth a new organization, a spiritual element, a people that are filled with the Holy Spirit that we call the church, the bride, the body of Christ. Family, this is, this is the birth of our great, 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 great grandparents from long ago, our spiritual great grandparents. So let's look over, let's turn over to Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 4, and let's look at the birth of the body of Christ. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 says, And when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves. And they, and they rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Boy, this passage right here has been sliced and diced, and it's been interpreted in so many different ways. So I want to give you uh, four things I see taking place 
in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Some people talk about, you know, it's the, it was the birth of the church, which I believe it is. It was the baptism of believers into the body of Christ, which it is. And there's, there's the gifts. But I want to go through these. I want to give you four things that were happening at Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, with the birth of the church. What is happening? Number one, what's happening in Acts chapter 2, is the birth of the church. No more temples, no more priests, no more Levitical laws. God's presence is no longer in the holy of holies. Remember the temple veil was torn in two, and now the presence of God is in the hearts of the believers. It's in the church. It's, it's, we are the temple of God. The disciples there uh, were the temple of God. And this is the beginning. Prior to this point, there were Christians, I'll get to that in a minute, but the church as a whole, as an organization, was birthed at this moment. So number one is the birth of the church, the birth of the church, the body of Christ. Number two, the second thing that was taking place at Pentecost is believers were being baptized into the body of Christ. Believers were being baptized taken from where they were and placed into what we call the body of Christ. And the scripture reference for that is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, where it says, For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greek, whether slave or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. So the baptism of the spirit there on the day of Pentecost, the first thing that was taking place is God was taking people and he was placing them in the body of Christ. And it had nothing to do with race or ethnicity or where you were from, whether you're black, white, yellow, green, purple, you know, which God's not about color. He was bringing all the people together to be in one body. He was baptizing them into the body of Christ. Prior to this point, there were men and women. They were not brothers and sisters. You know, they weren't connected. But now, because of their common faith in Christ and being born again, they were the family of God. So this is the forming of the family of God. This is the, the birth of, of Christians being placed into the body of Christ. Now, number two, my second thing that I, I'm going to present that was taking place at Pentecost can kind of be tied to number one. But I want to bring it out because Paul brings it out very well in Romans chapter 6. But the second thing that's taking place is, uh, excuse me, number three, the third thing that's taking place is believers are being baptized into complete union with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that happens with us at salvation, okay? This element of the baptism of the Spirit, of being baptized into the body, but we're also baptized into complete union with Christ. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 6, where he says, Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into his death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Again, at salvation, this element of baptism right here is, is where you are baptized into his death. Um, when we come to Christ, a funeral takes place. The old person, the old you died. The old flesh, the old carnal, sinful, sin-loving person passed away 
and Christ came in you, and he was, you were baptized into him. You were baptized completely into his death, meaning that his death covers all of your sin. You're completely forgiven of all past sin, present sin, future sin. Do we still have to confess it? Yes, but not for salvation, though. I mean, as, as a person becomes a believer and they blow it after they become a Christian, because, you know, Christians still sin, they bring it to his throne of grace. But your eternal salvation is secure because you have been baptized into the death of Christ. And not only have you been baptized into the death of Christ, but you've been baptized into his resurrection. You have been united with him. It was like he placed you in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus Christ is placed in you. You're inseparable. You've been bonded uh, together. That's how secure our salvation is. Our salvation is as secure as the sovereignty of the Lord Jesus Christ and as the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And because he's the way, the truth, the life, because he is truly ruling and reigning, we are eternally secure in our walk with him. So number one, I see in Acts chapter two, is, is the birth of the church. Number two, believers are baptized into the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. Thirdly, um, believers are being baptized into complete union with Christ. That's found in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. Oh, and I got one more. Galatians 3.27. Galatians 3.27 talks about this. He says, For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. So again, the picture of baptism is we come to Christ and we are completely clothed in the Lord Jesus Christ in his righteousness. There's nothing you can do to be saved. There's no works. There's no religion. There's no duties. It's all about the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you've been united with him by trusting in him. And he's dwelling inside of you. But there's a fourth thing. There's a fourth thing that's taking place. And when I talk about a fourth thing that's taking place, and, I'm, and, I, and I was looking at the text this week, I'm really looking at Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. But then I'm also going out to other scriptures that talk about baptism. That talk about baptism. And specifically ones dealing with the baptism of the Spirit, not baptism of water. But the fourth thing that's taking place here in Acts chapter 2 is, listen to me carefully, please follow me. I don't want to lose everyone. I might slow down just a little bit. I want you to see this. And that is this. The fourth thing that's taking place is the disciples who were with Jesus in John chapter 20 are being baptized with an empowerment and gift to serve. Now, there was a lot of people there on the day of Pentecost. And for, I think for the most part, the majority of those folks were experiencing salvation on that day there at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. But for the 12 disciples, I believe what's taking place in Acts chapter 2 is a second work. Let me show that to you. Um, turn back to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. Not looking at all the believers on the day of Pentecost, but looking just at the, the disciples. And as you turn to John chapter 20, keep in mind that John chapter 20 is 40 days prior to Acts chapter 2. So a month and 10 days before this, we find ourselves in John chapter 20, verse 19. And look, look at what the text says. It says, so when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, 
Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And here it is, verse 22. Uh, Chuck Smith really expounds on this verse in his book. Verse 22, he says, And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. So the church was born in Acts chapter 2. That was the official birth of the body of Christ. But here, 40 days prior to the church being born, the disciples are putting their trust and their faith. Remember, John chapter 20, verses 19 through 22, is after his death, and it's after his resurrection. This is actually, if you go back and look at it, John chapter 20, verse 19, the second half of John 20, is actually on the evening after his resurrection. This was that first Sunday evening. So Jesus didn't waste no time in appearing to his disciples. So this, I believe, family, in John chapter 20, is where the disciples experience salvation, and I believe that they receive the Holy Spirit. Some would disagree with me. Some well-respected teachers uh, would, would disagree with me, saying that the Holy Spirit did not come until Pentecost. Um, but to, to say they were not born again and filled with the Holy Spirit, you have to violate a lot of rules of hermeneutics when it comes to interpreting the text. Because Jesus says it right there in John 20. He says, receive the Holy Spirit. And if Jesus said, receive the Holy Spirit, guess what I believe? They received the Holy Spirit. Okay, they were like an advanced party. You know, before Jesus left this world, he had to get his 12 together, breathe into them, give them the Holy Spirit, get them to be born again, enable them to follow his will and, and do what it took until the day of Pentecost. So they were like the advanced party. He says, go to Jerusalem. They were the ones that were there at the, at, the, um, at the center of the outpouring. Therefore, in light of that, uh, on the day of Pentecost, for the disciples, for, for just the disciples who were born again in John chapter 20, I see Acts chapter 2 as a baptism of the Holy Spirit where a second work is taking place in their life, an impartation of the gifts of the Spirit. And to me, when I think about it, when I think that the, the disciples got saved in John chapter 20, the Holy Spirit got poured out there in Acts chapter 2, you know what that helps me do? Just in my, in my simple thinking, it helps me understand those immediate gifts. Those immediate gifts that we see in, in, the early, in the early part of the book of Acts. This helps me understand why there were tongues. This helps me understand why Peter's boldness to open air preach there in Acts chapter 2. If you go look at the text, as soon as this baptism took place, the very next thing, old Peter. Peter who was chicken, who denied Christ, who had no backbone. In the immediate text, right after the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it says, he stood up. And he preached to the men of Judea, and he did it with boldness. There was this empowerment there in Peter's life. And, and I attribute that to him being saved in John 20 and an impartation there in Acts chapter 2. And then I think it's Acts chapter 3. I, I don't have it written down, but it's either in Acts chapter 3 or chapter 4 where Peter and John 
heal the lame beggar. Now, I want to tell you, there are two positions on, on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And both of them, we're all in the family together. This is an internal discussion. This is an internal debate between denominations and different churches. But uh, those who, and here it is, those who define the baptism of the Holy Spirit as just a baptism in the body of Christ, which I believe is true, because that's what we saw in the text, they run to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, Romans chapter 6, verse 3 and 4, and Galatians 3, 27 to prove their point. And to those brothers, I would say, yes, yes. The baptism of the Holy Spirit there in Acts and in our life today, we are baptized into the body of Christ. We are, are baptized into complete union with Christ. And it's, it's not an experiential thing. It's just something that God does instantly when we receive Christ as our Lord and Savior. Now, our other brothers and sisters, those who define the baptism of the Holy Spirit uh, as gifts being imparted to believers, here's, why, here's how they come to that position. They see the disciples getting saved in John chapter 20 and filled with the Spirit, and then they see an empowerment for service at Pentecost. Do y'all follow me there? Y'all tracking? So my thing, man, I, I believe all, all Scripture is inspired. It's all profitable. It's all accurate. It's all true. What does that make me do as a Calvary Chapel pastor? I hold to them both. I hold to them both. Now, when you get into the book of Acts, it, it kind of makes it, it doesn't make it difficult, but you see Luke using these words interchangeably. At some points where gifts are exercised, they'll actually, Luke will actually use the phrase, they were filled with the Spirit. They were filled with the Spirit. And then you see in other places, and we'll, we'll look at them in a minute, um, he'll, use the, he'll use the phrase baptized in the Spirit. So you know what? I'm not going to get into an argument over words, but the bottom line is the Holy Spirit was using the disciples mightily. And the baptism of the Spirit that takes place Things happen at salvation, but also they can also happen later in life. Baptism of the Spirit, filling of the Spirit, where gifts are given. So I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm holding to both. I'm, I'm going to cling to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Romans chapter 6, Galatians chapter 3, and I'm going to cling to John chapter 20 when it talks about the uh, baptism of the Holy Spirit. Um, but again, when you look into the book of Acts, the two phrases you'll see used, and we'll see them in a minute, is, is baptized with the Holy Spirit and filled with the Holy Spirit. And keep that in mind, because on the very last chapter, I think it's chapter 25, I, I wrote down a quote from Pastor Chuck where he talks about that. And he makes a very important point when it comes to, well, baptized with the Spirit versus filled with the Spirit. But we'll get there when we get to the end. But another thing I also want you to see tonight as we go there, you start, you start turning your Bibles to Acts chapter 8. Uh, I also want you to notice the timing between salvation and filling or baptisms. You know, it's not cut and dry. We're actually going to see in the text where there's a salvation and then a later filling. Then we're going to see a salvation and a filling at the same time. So basically what that tells me, you can't put God in a box. You know, he's going to work under his sovereignty and his plan. And he is going to save people when he saves them. He's going to gift them when he gives them. Some people, man, they, they get it all right at salvation. Praise the Lord. I know brothers and sisters that have come to Christ and they knew their gift from day one. 
They knew what the Holy Spirit had given them a gift for. Whereas I know other believers who came to Christ and they, they served the Lord for months, years, decades, and it was later in life that God gave them a gift. So I want you to look, think about the timing. So turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. And we're going to look at, um, we're actually going to look at Acts chapter 8, chapter 9, and chapter 10. I'm not going to read all the verses, just select portions on the, the baptism and the filling of the Holy Spirit. So Acts chapter 8, verse 14. We'll start there. It says, now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So clearly, verses 14, 15, and 16 is salvation. It says there in verse 14, uh, Samaria had received the word of God. And then at the end of verse 16, they had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And you know what I think that is? I think that's that, that's that baptism of the Spirit that we talked about in the beginning, where he's baptizing you into the body of Christ. He's baptizing you into union with Christ. So they had experienced that baptism. But look at verse 17. And look at the words. It says, then they began laying their hands on them. Then, that, that signifies, this is afterwards. Then, then they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. So we see clearly in this text that some point after their salvation, because you don't get saved by somebody laying their hands on you, okay? If you want to become a Christian, you know, somebody laying their hands on you ain't going to do no good. You got to repent and believe the gospel. You got to put your trust in him. But we see this after salvation where they laid hands on him and he uses the phrase receiving the spirit. So that is one example of salvation and then a second work of the spirit. Some people would call that a baptism of the spirit. Some people would call that a filling of the spirit. But there is this upon, there's this uh, extra measure of grace you know, I liken to when after someone becomes a Christian, God works in their life and gives them a gift. It gives them a gift. Look at Acts chapter 9. Let's look at Paul. Look at the Apostle Paul himself. And these first two I'm showing you, these are two examples of where there's a, a, little, there's a gap. There's a little time space between salvation and receiving uh, or being a filling or baptism of the Spirit. The second work. But Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Start with verse 1. It says, Now Saul, still breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, and he asked for letters from him to the synagogue at Damascus, so that if he found anyone belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he was traveling, it happened that that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And, and he said, Saul, soon to be Paul, says to him, Who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Get up and enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. Now, does anybody here 
question Paul's salvation at this point. He's met the glorified Christ. He's bowed his knee, not literally, he fell off the, he, he fell to the ground, but he, well, he did literally bow his knees. He fell to his knees in humble submission to Christ. He confessed Jesus as Lord when he says, who are you, Lord? According to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3, this is only possible by the Holy Spirit. So I believe that Paul experienced salvation there on the road to Damascus when he was on the way to persecute those Christians. This was an act of salvation. I see this as an act of him being baptized into the body of Christ, him uh, being baptized into complete union with Christ. But look, skip down to verse 17 of Acts chapter 9. Remember God sends Ananias to help him, to, to get him on the right path? Acts chapter 9, verse 17, some amount of time after the uh, road to Damascus experience, it says in verse 17, so Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you are coming has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So here we see a laying on of hands by Paul. We see a second work of the Spirit. Um, he had a, in, in my opinion, he had 100% of the Holy Spirit. He was completely saved, 100% filled. But now God is saying, you know what, Paul, I'm going to use you. I'm going to use you, Saul. I'm going to change your name. I'm going to make you the missionary to the Gentiles. And what do we have after this experience? After this experience, the Holy Spirit flowing out of Paul as the greatest missionary of all time. I believe Paul's ministry that we see in the book of Acts is that outpouring, that outflowing of being filled with the Spirit, this continual empowerment that was given to him in his life. I mean, how else can you explain him enduring everything he went through? The persecutions, the beatings, the stonings, the just, he was just brutally uh, torn apart at the hands of the religious leaders, spiritually, physically. It's because he had that empowerment. He had that filling of the Holy Spirit that was in his life. So Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 9 are examples of, we see salvation and then we see a filling, or some people would call a baptism of the Spirit. Now let's look where it happens altogether. Turn to um, Acts chapter 10. We'll start with Acts chapter 10, verse 44. Show you where it, it, all, it was all at once. It, it, was one, it was one swoop. And they were saved, baptized, filled, gifted, and the whole nine yards. Here in Acts chapter 10, Peter is at Cornelius' house. And he's sharing the gospel with this Gentile ruler. And as he finishes up uh, preaching the gospel to these guys, look at verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. All the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also, for they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. And we know from the previous passage that these people were not saved. 
They were seeking God, but they did not know Christ. So here in Acts chapter 10, the salvation, their salvation and the gift of the Spirit, it came all at once. It was one package deal. Um, the Holy Spirit can give you your gift from ministry at salvation. He, he can do that. It can be a one-stop shop. But here, check this out. In Acts chapter 11, the very next chapter, Peter goes to Jerusalem to explain what had happened with the Gentiles. So look at the next chapter, because uh, this is Peter's explanation of what happened in Acts chapter 10. Look at Acts chapter 11, verse 15. It says, and as I began to, he's, he's explaining, he's given an account of his encounter with Cornelius, at Cornelius' house. Acts chapter 11, verse 15. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as he did upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he used to say, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So here, Peter calls it a baptism of the Spirit. You know, I'm not going to debate over words. I just know I got brothers in Christ who, who call this work of the Spirit after salvation. Some of them call it the filling of the Spirit. God bless you. That's awesome. Let's rock. I'm with you. And some brothers and sisters call it the baptism of the Spirit. Because we see both of those words used in the book of Acts. I think we can bring everybody, I think we can bring everybody together on that, you know? I, I, don't, I don't see a big difference on that. Um, so we see in the book of Acts, we see salvation, then a work of the Spirit. But you also, in other places, see salvation and the work of the Spirit or the filling of the Spirit taking place all at once. So we can't put God in a box. He is going to save people, and he's going to give them the gift that he has for them when, as he sovereignly chooses, as he pleases, as his will. Now, i got to ask you this. How many of you guys ever heard of para in epi? Anybody ever heard that phrase? Para in epi. This is one of Pastor Chuck's famous messages on the, the filling of the Holy Spirit. And this is how Pastor Chuck uh, explains the, the outworking, the outpouring, the filling, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let's look at, um, this is how he explains it. John chapter 14. John chapter 14, verse 17. Actually, I preached this message when we were at Lake Murray Gymnastics. I very clearly remember because I had the little illustration of the, the glass and the water and overflowing. Did anybody, was anybody here for that message? Okay. Anyway, um, but it's called para in epi. And it's based on three Greek prepositions that Jesus uses in John chapter 14 and Acts chapter 1 verse 8. So the first one, John chapter 14 verse 17, I circled the words for you. Jesus said, That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. And in Chuck Smith's book, he zones in on those words, with you and in you. That first word in John 14, 17, with you, the Greek word is para. Para. And that word para uh, means to come alongside, 
to, to be in a nearby location. That's the definition according to a Blue Letter Bible. And what this does, this word para, it describes the Holy Spirit's work before salvation. What is the Holy Spirit doing to us before we get saved? Convicting. He, he's convicting us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He's like on the outside, knocking on our hearts, bringing conviction of sin, reminding us of the gospel, and working on our hearts. He is on the outside of us, and he's drawing us. He's drawing us to Christ. That is para. That's the first, I guess you call it stage or, or work of the Spirit. He's on the outside, and he is with us, but he's not in us, but he's working on us, trying to bring us to salvation. And then, the, at the end of verse 17, uh, he says, and he will be in you. Well, that, that Greek preposition with the word in, instead of in, is in. He will be in. This is what um, we believe happened in John chapter 20. That the Holy Spirit went from being with the disciples to in the disciples. Just like you and I, before we came to that that day, that season, when you came to Christ, the Holy Spirit went from being with you to being inside of you. And again, I have to stress this, because some people would say different. But when he is in you at this stage, when you're in Christ, you have 100% of the Holy Spirit. He is in you. You are filled to, to completion. You are born again. Jesus said in John chapter 3, you must be born again. Born again, there's a spiritual transaction where God takes that heart of stone and he removes it and he completely fills your soul with his Holy Spirit. Para, the Holy Spirit was with us. In, E-N, now he, he, is, he is in us. And he's filled, we are filled completely by being born again, his spirit. And he's there to stay. He says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. But then the third word, a para in epi, is, it comes from Acts chapter 1, verse 8. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. So that's that third part. Para in epi. Epi means upon you. That's the Holy Spirit's work to empower you for service. And as we saw a while ago, um, some people are given that gift at salvation, I believe. Some people are given it later on in life. But the thing about it is, and what Pastor Chuck does a really good job of pointing out is this. This is so key to think when you, when you think about the, um, the baptism of the Holy Spirit or the filling of the Holy Spirit. What do we, in our natural minds, we think about the Spirit coming in. We think about the Spirit being poured in, which he is. That happens at salvation, okay? At salvation, the Holy Spirit is poured in and filling us. But Pastor Chuck points out the whole entire book of Acts is a demonstration of what? The Holy Spirit flowing out of us. Flowing out of us. That's the whole point of the gifts. That's the whole point of ministry. That's the whole point of loving people and ministering to people and showing mercy. It's the Holy Spirit 
working out of us. It is the outflowing, it is the outflowing of the Holy Spirit. That's what Pastor Chuck defines as the, as the baptism slash filling of the Holy Spirit that continues in, in our Christian life it is that we're so filled with the Spirit, we're so yielded to the Spirit that God uses us. He pours out of us into the world around us. That is the essence of the Christian life. You know, it, it's not about, oh, it's not, it's, God blesses us at salvation. He takes care of us. But after salvation, he says, I, wanna, I want the focus now to be in your life to be focused on other people. I want my Holy Spirit not to just be poured into you, but to be poured into you and then poured out and touching those people around you. That is the baptism of the Spirit. Whether you call it the baptism of the Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit, being yielded to the Spirit, it, it's, it's opening your heart, saying, Lord, use me mightily. Use me mightily for, you, for your glory and your honor. And understanding this, that there's two parts of every single one of you guys. There's a physical body and there's a spiritual person on the inside. And that spiritual person on the inside, the Holy Spirit is there if you are in Christ. Okay? He is, he, he's, not, he's not with, he's not para. He, he's, he's in. He's inside of you. And now what he wants to do is he wants to be uh, epi. He wants to flow out of each and every one of us to touch the world around us. That, my friend, is the evidence of being filled with the Spirit. You know, it's, 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 it's an outpouring. It's pouring out yourself in service to your children, to your husband, to your wife, to your family, to your friends, to ministry, to students, to children, to each other. The moment of hope ministry. You know, it's, it's about that baptism of the Spirit, that filling of the Spirit, is when God says, you know what, Sherry, I'm going to use you mightily in this ministry or Bud, or Brandon, or any one of us. It's being used mightily by the Lord. I want to close tonight's study, before I give you my gift, with, um, I'm going to quote from Pastor Chuck in chapter 25. In chapter 25 of Living Waters, he calls that chapter the torrent of love. The torrent of love. And it's, it's just, he's just, he was just an amazing, mighty man of God that was used mightily. And what he says here, I hope and pray that it just brings everything home and it just helps you see the big picture um, of being filled with the Spirit and being used mightily by the Lord. But Chuck Smith says this in chapter 25. He says, The ultimate work of the Spirit is not merely to transform and change and empower us that we might be blessed. His ultimate work is empowering us to serve, to serve those around us, to help other people, to, to be a witness. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, you, you shall receive power. You shall be witnesses for my kingdom. His, his, to, his, his work in us is to become an effective, is to become effective in bringing Jesus Christ to others. God's spirit wants to use you and me to bring the love of God to others. He wants his spirit to flow like a torrent of living water 
out of our lives and into the lives of those who have yet to quench their thirst at the fountain of God. Again, the filling, the baptism, it's about reaching out. It's that, it's just, imagine it, the, the spirit just flowing out of you, just pouring out of you and touching your neighbors and touching your friends. Chuck Smith says this, and I kind of alluded to this a while ago. Chuck says, I don't care what you call it, the baptism of the spirit, the gift of the spirit, or the filling of the spirit, and there's several other phrases that are used, um, yielding of the spirit. It doesn't matter what terminology you use. What's important is, is it a reality in your life? Can you say, yes, praise God, there is flowing forth from my life a torrent of love and power as a result of the spirit overflowing in my life? Can we say that? The question is not, are you baptized? Are you filled? Or do you have the gift of the Holy Spirit? The question is, do overflowing torrents of living water gush forth from your life? Is it flowing out? Is it flowing out? Is it being poured into those around us? That is the true gift of the Spirit. Uh, we, it was, it's in Corinthians, I think it's uh, chapter 14. It's either chapter 12 or chapter, chapter 12, chapter 14. But the gifts of the Spirit are what? To edify the body of Christ. So the Holy Spirit is about using the gifts and using his ministries to build up other people around us. A life overflowing with the, with the power and the love of the Holy Spirit. Allow, allow, excuse me, a life overflowing with the power and love of the Holy Spirit. Allow the mighty, dynamic of the Spirit to be released in your life. Allow him to touch your family through you, to touch your neighbors, and to touch those who work with, to touch everyone you come in contact with. Then you will see God's love flowing from your life, offering living water to quench the raging thirst of a spiritually parched world. Again, the Spirit is not about what's in it from the spirit-filled life is not about what's in it for me and what kind of gifts and things that I get to receive and be blessed from, but the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, the filling of the Spirit, the baptism of the Spirit is about how can God use me mightily to touch those around us. Each and every one of us have loved ones, friends, and neighbors that are broken. Everybody's broken by sin, but the world we're living in today is very difficult, and there's hundreds of challenges around us, as we're going to see this weekend with the Patty Height Conference. Parents, uh, leaders are flooding into Calvary Chapel Irma this weekend because they want to be used by God, and they want tools to be equipped to go out and touch the community around them, to touch their children who are struggling with sexual identity, to, to, to help their loved ones and friends who are struggling with LGBTQ issues. That's the essence of the Spirit, though, is that his, his filling and his empowerment is so we can help each other. So my question in closing of our final nine-week study is, what gift has he given you? You know, I'm a firm believer, you know, that we, we pray, we seek the Lord, we search out his word, and, and we ask the Lord, I, I, this is how I operate anyway, is I'm like, Lord, whatever gift you've given me, please give me a passion for it. You know, and then I examine my heart over the days, over the weeks, and over the months, and say, you know, 
okay, where do I feel like, where do I feel my heart being pulled? Is it being pulled, you know, towards showing mercy and, or an extra measure of mercy and teaching and helps? You know, that's what we have to ask ourselves. So that's something I want to encourage you guys to pray about. Get your little uh, spiritual gifts inventory, one per family, and you can go through this thing, and it's, it's pretty it's pretty detailed. It's not something you can do, sit here and do in this moment. But I, I want to encourage you guys to take this home and fill it out and see where God's given you a passion. See where, where God has given you a desire and, and a gift to exercise. This is pretty thorough. There's a, 160 uh, statements. And you have to rate them on a scale of three to zero and then add up the numbers, figure it out. And then he does a really good job at the very back of giving gift definitions and Bible references for the gifts. So how many of you guys, by show, how many of y'all have ever done this before? A spiritual gifts test? A couple of folks. So there'll be some new people new to it. But figure, but here's the, here's the deal, family. Being baptized, being filled, being yielded to the Spirit is find out what your gift is and walk in that gift. Exercise that gift in the body of Christ, in your family, in your neighborhood, and in your community. Amen? Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for this study that we've had on the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I pray, Father God, that, that out of this nine weeks that we've invested in studying uh, what the scripture says about the Holy Spirit and Pastor Chuck's book, Living Waters. I pray, Father God, that you will use this to uh, help people discover their gifts, Lord, and then help them to walk in their gifts. Lord, we love you and we praise you. And we we thank you, Lord, for um, what you're doing in our church. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you that you uh, work in people's hearts so that we can be complete, building up, the, building the kingdom of God and reaching out to the lost here in Irmo, South Carolina. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for tonight's study. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. amen.